Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast. We bring together the best technical leaders to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Andy, and I'm your host for today. I connect businesses with talented individuals in the software development market. I'm joined today by a faster, fantastic panel to talk about culture in high-performance teams. Before we get into the discussion, let's make some introductions. Victoria James, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, my name is Victoria James. I'm the HR director for a company called Great State. Um, we are a digital product and service design agency. Um, so you will see our products, things like apps, um, on your mobile phone, etc. Uh, we are based in London and Bristol, but we have lots of remote workers as well. So um, we have a hybrid workforce. Excellent. Thank you. And Greg Ward, would you like to go next, please? Hi, everyone. Yeah, so I'm Greg. I'm from uh, GoDaddy, um, so the, the large hosting uh, company. Uh, we do loads of uh, different products, um, as I say, hosting mainly, the main names. I'm head of quality. I run teams across the, uh, the globe in all different areas. Currently um, setting up in, in Australia. We've got teams in India, US, uh, UK, Eastern Europe. So busy, busy, busy all the time. Um, working with teams at different stages within their maturity and taking on that uh, quality journey to make sure our customers get the best um, experience at the end of the day. Excellent. Mike, would you like to go next and do your introduction, please? Of course, Andy. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Mike Sirius. I'm director of technology with a company called Love Home Swap. So we are Travel Asia company offering a different way of traveling and the, the pitch is in the name. Effectively, we enable people to swap their homes when they want to, you know, go across the, the whole globe. We, we're listing around 25 properties all around the place. So let's say you're a family in London, you want to go to Canada. So our platform will enable you to find a family in Canada, agree on dates, swap the homes and make the accommodation cost go away. Yeah. I can you need yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I'm Kent McClymont. Um, I'm an engineering manager at The Guardian newspaper. Um, I work within one of their core product and engineering teams, um, working on everything from the website to um, systems that produce the paper. Thank you. All right. Let's, let's move on to the topic. We all have a question around culture of high performance teams. I'm now going to ask, I'm now going to introduce each of you and your question. If you could please then expand on it and get more details. Following this, you will then have an opportunity to give your take. So let's start with Victoria. And your question is, what are the key elements of a strong culture of a high-performance team? Yes, we were just interested in um, expanding on those, really, what everyone thought were the key elements for a strong culture. Um, we have our own recipe, I suppose, and just wanted to know if anyone else could add any other ingredients into that. Excellent. Does anyone like to go first on Saturday that one? Yeah, I don't mind jumping in on this one. So I, f I find uh, working with different teams, they all have their own, say, formula, the mix mixture of different parts, so to speak. But one key thing I find that drives through high performance is clear communication. Communication is the biggest key to building teamwork, trust, uh, and collaboration. Um, you know, get the teams working together, not just dependent on the lead the developer, let's say, let's say so the development team, you know, that one strong voice that, that overrides everyone else. Everyone's got to be able to collaborate and have equal 
um, voice um, and be heard. Um, and yeah, to me, that is the main building blocks. If we're banging, yeah. you're building on sound. Um, you know, the, the structure's going to ch- change. You know, because with natural change and um, nothing's ever static in this world, I wish it was. Uh, make my life a lot easier if things are <laughs> the same, but no, that doesn't happen. But with these building blocks, you can sort of tackle anything. You know, siloed knowledge isn't built built up. Not one, everything's in one person's head. With the clear communication, pairing, development of other other people in the team, so that's not all in one one place. You know, the team's set up for success. I think without these fundamentals, you're setting up, you're basically setting up for failure right from the get go. Yeah, definitely. Communication is, I think, a key key one. Yeah. Um, I think stepping back one thing from that. If you set a clear vision for that team and then keep that communication going, then everyone's aligned to the same goals. Yes. Um, and yeah, I can't agree with you more there. Communication and that continuous learning piece that you mentioned as well. Uh, keep that team fresh. Yes. Keep them interested, keep them engaged, uh, keep them relevant, all those kind of things. Yeah. Once the team starts to stagnate, you know, it's, it's hard to get that momentum back. Uh, yeah. My enthusiasm. So yeah. Um, Mike, have you got anything to add on that? Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I'm, I'm more academic, if it makes sense, when it comes to to this topic. So, so I, I try to look, uh, you know, for bigger businesses who who run, uh, you know, bigger surveys or it's like a long running type of, uh, uh, yeah, exercise. So, so Google had their own, which was a, a project Aristotle, where they looked at what actually is needed for a team to perform well and then be at the, you know, the highest performance level. So the very first, uh, you know, is a psychological safety, which needs to exist within the team to actually, you know, enable team to, 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 to do well. Um, and there's, you know, other five disciplines, but coming back to what you guys mentioned, it's, you know, um, I use words focus and purpose, but it's, it's basically the, the same thing, isn't it? It's just for the team to really know where they're going, that that's where the focus comes in. And then if you can, uh, you know, emphasize the purpose of where you, where you want to go, it just enables the team, you know, to, 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 to do better, waste less time on, on things which don't matter at that point in time. Uh, psychological safety and trust, it's, uh, it's almost to have that environment uh, within the teams where everybody can speak out, everybody can put their ideas forth. There's no real judgment that, you know, all ideas are great. And, you know, the trust element as well just, you know, um, makes me feel good. You you know, I have your back. So everybody's sort of working for the same focus and purpose. And at, at the bottom, I do feel that there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a big weight when it comes to cross-functional team, when it comes to performance. So if I'm thinking about a team topologies and, and, and I'm thinking about squads, I would likely want to see that every squad has, um, you know, a lean setup where you have, a product person within the squad and you likely have a design person within the squad you have a you know backhanders and frontenders within the squad or like a full stack developers maybe even qa sits in that squad so you have a a strong cross-functional squad so when you put that purpose or that focus for the squad on the table and you go like this is what we're going to be doing this quarter you know you, you have a very uh, short feedback loop when it comes to, to making decisions so decision velocity is, is there we have an idea, there's trust, so all ideas are good. You know, designers and product people will, will go pick this out in a few weeks, come back. You know, there's development team right there. QA will be to check it, and if it's ready, you know, it's ready, you know, for the broader business. So I think that cross-functional element over there is quite important. But then you think 
about more squads. I, I feel like transparency is important as well. You know, who's doing what, you know, why are we doing those things? Just sharing the details, you know, uh, you know, moving away from those silos, which Greg mentioned. So for me, it's those six, six pieces, focus, purpose, psychological safety, trust, cross-functional and transparency. Mm, yeah. Trust and psychological safety is a big one, uh, especially if you're working in a team that's innovating and you're sort of taking risks, working in a kind of agile way or, or something like that, because you've got to feel comfortable to put yourself out there knowing that you've got that sort of safety net around you. And also you want to be able to trust that the rest of your team, if it's a high performing team, you want to be able to trust that the rest of your team is doing their bit, will will do their bit well on time, you know, that kind of thing, or will communicate with you if something's going slightly awry. So yeah, totally, totally get that. Yes, you got anything you'd like to ask? Certainly. I think for me, I mean, I have to agree with everything that's been said, first of all. Um, I think diversity is probably the main one for me. Um, what what it what happens when you have a diverse team, and by that I, I mean diversity in all, in all ways possible, um, is you get lots of different viewpoints, but you also get this innate respect for one another that happens. Um, and so it means that they're much more resilient. And in a modern development environment, there is constant change around the team itself. And so the team needs to be quite resilient to maintain its high performance. Um, and so in in an environment where you've perhaps over-optimized the team to a particular type of developer, say, it becomes very quickly not a high-performing team when the environment changes. And so for me, I think making sure that there is that continual um, focus on maintaining diversity and respect between the developers and uh, designers and products and so on means that they are much more inclined to help one another, but also that when really difficult times happen, they um, they really band together. So, so Yeah, di- diversity is a big point, I think, especially, I mean, you can probably work in a very similar way to we do. You're creating products and services for a global market. Uh, your team needs to be able to represent that market. You can't just have a, a one-dimensional team that always agrees with each other. Because you're only going to ever create one cookie cutter shape of something, uh, so yeah, totally, totally get the diversity thing. That's um, one of a, a big agenda, I suppose, for companies that are working on global products and services. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm quite lucky. My 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 team is in the in the Guardian very much so. Um, in thought diversity as well, like we welcome mm-hmm. sort of a positive and constructive debate, and I think. Um, in some teams where they're pushing for, you know, perhaps um, developing as fast as possible, it means you don't have those technical discussions when you want to, or product discussions. You don't really unpick the problem. Um, so I think that that really adds to the, mm, I'd say, the long-term high performance rather than an immediate short burst. All right, thanks. Uh, thanks, everyone. So let's move on to Kent's, Kent's question of when hiring for the team, do you think about culture fit? Or the evolution and why? Would you like to go into that later? Please now. Um, yeah, certainly. So, actually, I think probably it ties into what I've just said. For a lot of uh, companies, they think about culture fit as this idealized culture, um, and they want to hire people that fit that culture. But as it was alluded to before, often that means you can stagnate. So, when you found a culture you like, 
do you hire to maintain that culture or do you hire to evolve it? And if you do, do you know where you're going? Greg, would you like to uh, kick us off? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a thing that I often talk about with my managers um, is about the culture fit. And we, we have to also think about the progression of the team. As, as we said earlier, you know, nothing stays the same, uh, especially in, in our world. So you have got to have a clear direction of where you're going to, so clear roadmaps um, and a sort of sense of direction of where you're going so you can sort of know where the team's heading to and, and, and evolve. So it, it's a bit of a hard one. So with the diversity as well, we, we don't want one bad apple coming in. We've all been in teams, I'm sure, before where you get one person with a very strong opinion who overrides everyone else. That straight away ruins the team dynamics. Um, so, yeah, culture fit is, is is very important for the evolution as well. We've got to keep moving forward. Uh, in this agile world we, we work in, nothing stays the same, especially outside the teams. So where you can, clear direction, transparency as well, so the team knows where they're going. And, you know, all the things we talked about in the last meeting, um, evolution is, is going because if we, you stay still, you die, basically. It's, it's like the uh, shark, isn't it? You just can't stop swimming. You've got to keep moving forward. The team's got to have that sort of mindset as well as keep going. Cause, you know, because they want to stay engaged as well and learning new things. And people bring new experiences, you know, from set, setting up quality in new teams. Um, a testimony sees something that the developers have not seen and, and raised that question. So different eyes, different forms of evolution of the team has to happen. You know, it's not always bringing in the um, new, you know, amazing developer who's singing and dancing the, the rock star developer sort of so to speak you know everyone's bringing in juniors who just question things maybe the team thinks in different ways uh, you know a lot of times uh, when a new starter comes in they'll ask the question no one's thought about like oh how do i do this where can i find this information and, oh yeah we haven't even thought about it. you know and you learn and grow just from different people coming in but you have got to be mindful of the culture that's what i'd say evolution is key um, you can't jeopardise the culture as well by just constant change all the time because you're going to disrupt. It's like, yeah. So you like to actually the cats. Yeah, I was, I was going to say you um, j- just just to reply, you added um, a really good point in there about at juniors and seniors. It's really interesting that I've seen, or personally I've seen, um, a big focus on people wanting to hire in seniors and making it quite difficult for juniors to develop, but. Also, as you were saying, m- missing the value of a junior because they do bring in um, a fresh perspective and also are going to add to the culture but absorb a lot as well. So um, I'd, I'd really agree on the junior point. They're so much more valuable than people often give them credit for. And Mike, uh, would you like to? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll spin. So my, my idea is that it depends where you are in your organizational maturity. So if we actually you know, committing to our culture and, and, and we setting the culture, you know, and we expressing some values, you know, standards around the culture and it's actually written down and that comes in from, you know, from a broader vision, uh, you know, of the management that like, this is the culture we, we want to create. Then yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the selection piece, when you think about how you hire, is it a cultural fit? Do I'm looking at the skills or do I'm looking at the potential of individuals, uh, which all three of them in current market, you have to hit all of them. You have to have a skill, you have to show potential, and then you need to be that cultural fit. But then I think it's it's a lot more important. Uh, and my idea is because the culture comes from within. 
So when we have a uh, character traits, uh, we all bring something to that culture, which might align well or might not. And it's just, we are who we are. We can adjust uh, to, to, you know, let's say different cultural values. But by default, when we join, we're going to bring our color, you know, to that squad or to that organization. And if there's a huge, let's say, mismatch between who I am and my own, you know, cultural values and the organizations, it's going to be very, diff- you know, a uh, hard environment for me to be in and adjust. And it's going to be quite, you know, challenging as well, uh, you know, for the business to onboard me, you know, quickly and and, and, and well. So I, I would say then, yes, definitely, if you have some really written down cultural values and principles and you're looking for certain behaviors, you, you want to hire for cultural fit. If you don't have that, and that's a, you know, reality for majority of, you know, uh, startups to, to a certain extent, you, you, you really allow culture to just sort of appear based on, how, you know, how you hire, you know, how the business is run. It just sort of appears as a, as a cultural mod- model. At that point in time, I would say, uh, you know, likely do uh, skill selection and maybe talent selection or like a potential driven selection. Uh, it's probably worse to allow managing um, people to decide what is that culture. You know, uh, like if we, if we have no agreement and I'm hiring my own team, I'm sort of have my own understanding of that culture. I'm going to hire like this and I'm going to express that culture fit, non-fit uh, process. This likely not a great idea. It's it, the skill and potential selection is better at that point in time. Anything you like to say for that, cats? Uh, yeah, I was I was just thinking. Um, it's interesting because I've, I've worked in a number of startups and, and run a couple as well, and it's a very different environment to to large organisations. Um, places like the Guardian have a very robust culture. They've got a big team, and you know it is constantly growing in in a positive way because of that. In a startup, when you bring in the wrong person. It can decimate the performance of your team, especially if you bring in somebody who um, undermines or you know discredits other members. So I'd I would say their their skill is absolutely paramount. But if their if the chemistry isn't correct, you you will find that the performance of your uh, very small team that has to be very driven because quite often they're not paid as well as if they were in some other organisations. Their, their commitment to the company has to be high and they, they have to be really driven. So if somebody is going to um, detract from that mission, from that from that vision that you're setting out as founders, then, then you're going to have a very difficult time. And I think that's where you have to be quite careful um, with who you hire, but also how, how you engage with your hiring process. I, I would often use a slightly different hiring process in a startup. Um, and I would probably focus on people who are going to be much more committed to the cause of the company than perhaps somebody who I believe would be a, a five-year investment, for example, um, simply because of the nature of startups and the the, the, the turmoils that they go through. Yeah, I fully agree, Ken. The, the, the commitment-driven culture is actually, uh, on paper, academically, it's proven to be you know the best for, for startups because um, it's just they have a very low fa- failure rate, the commitment-driven cultures. You know they move much quicker. Uh, they do underperform though. If you, if you you know if you uh, just went public and you IPO as a business, you know the start-driven uh, cultures actually do a lot better, increasing uh, you know capital share. And start-driven cultures is all about like the best. You know we hire the best people, we pay the best salaries, and we, you know we tend them to look at them perform. But overall, if you don't think about organizational maturity, just anywhere in the lifespan of of organization. The commitment-driven cultures are, are, are the one which perform very well. And as a result, we're seeing all of businesses adopting that. 
Definitely. It makes a big difference on retention as well. So you often keep people who care about the mission of the company. Um, it, I think company growth and that change as well as as the model of of your structure, your organization changes, it does definitely impact the, the yeah. culture, whether you want it to or not, right? So uh, I think the question for you, Kent, was well, as well, how you look at the future and how you potentially manage that cultural change if you decide you know, to, to see that change. Uh, in, in my experience, the bigger the business, the, the more closer you come to these bureaucratical cultures where you have a lot of processes written down, you know, everything's a policy, you know, everything's a rule. And as a result, you have, uh, you know, businesses being run predominantly by the, you know, mi- mid-layer management because they effectively police those, uh, you know, policies. And I'm not even sure if you can avoid this, to, to be honest, like that's above my pay grade in the sense of, did we ever see a very big companies, you know, who are still, you know, have some commitment culture driven ethos and they're doing actually quite well. So the only example which I, I can put forward is uh, AWS. And that comes from me having a conversation with the head of innovation is that they try to look at the cultures on a, like a squad level and, and sort of allow the squad ex- exist with the full autonomy and not be subjected to, you know, to the bureaucracy of the size of, of the AWS as a business. But it's quite hard to really uh, pull that off in reality, because again, if you're like fintech business, you're going to have so much regulation and, you know, integration partnerships going to be regulated by different policies. And it's just the law, like you'll have to have that happen. As a result, you you will lean towards that bureaucracy driven culture. So I'm not sure how to answer that question, Kent, is like, can you even avoid this, you know? But. Yeah, that's, that's a really tough one. Um, it's often because businesses diversify, right? So they lose that razor, um, laser focus on, on what it is that they're, they're trying to achieve. I think, I mean, the, the the really standard ones that people will often talk about are, are places like Spotify or Valve, um, and those organisations that are really quite interesting. And and, and you know, um, ten years ago, we're definitely and, and beyond, we're definitely leading the way in what it what it is to be a modern development environment. And and partly, I think they remained lean. And I and I think you can do that as a tech firm. But the closer you get to um, uh, an organization that's going to blow in, in just because of the nature of it when you get to very large team sizes then yes you're gonna you're gonna find that you get meta cultures that, that appear but it's it's part and parcel it's a difficult part of growth and then victoria is there anything you'd like to add? i think most of it's been said really isn't it? um i suppose just kind of recapping um i think you have to think about both going back to mike's point it depends on the specific context and goals of the team and the company um but you know if you're going for a balanced approach then you're considering cultural fit um you know you're considering what the team's values are the norms the ways of working um it helps with cohesiveness you know synergy within the team you're promoting effective collaboration and communication you know a good cultural fit can contribute to that positive work environment and obviously minimize conflict but i think we mentioned it before you know you can then stagnate um and teams need to evolve especially in our industry um as technology evolves so it's really crucial to consider evolution when you're hiring for a team as it does evolve and adapt over time and introducing diverse perspectives, you know, they and the skill sets, um, it brings, you know, freshness to the team, creativity, innovation, 
you know, if you're embracing that diversity and the different experiences, you're enhancing the team's problem-solving capabilities, the resilience. So, you know, finding that right balance between culture fit and evolution is really key, depending, like we were saying, on, you know, the type of business, the size of business. If that team is, you know, the majority of your business or just a tiny little piece of it, uh, it's important to, to look at each new team member not only for the skills that they have but their potential to contribute to that that team's culture and adapt to it as it evolves um so you know you can if you're flexible and you're open to that diversity it can lead to a high performing team but you can still maintain that that strong cultural foundation i suppose um it is just one of those you know it's different for everybody but i think it's important to consider both um so next we have greg's question which was once you have built a high performance team and they are established how do you keep that going who would like to kill yeah so what i was thinking about this um it was sort of a two-part question really um because it's awesome when you've got a, a high-functional, fast, lean team that deliver. Now, what I've noticed over time, and it's not just in large companies, but in smaller companies as well, once a team gets a, a good reputation, a good flow going, that scope creeps, starts to creep in. Product are like, hey, can we just get a little bit more out of you this sprint? And before you know it, uh, the team's being put upon, the stresses are being put on, innovation sort of dries up. It's like... Um, uh, a failure of their own success, uh, so to, so to speak. So, how do we keep that momentum, keep the team uh, lean, uh, innovating, communication open? Because before you part um, celebrating your successes, before you know it, it's it's crumbling about around you through pressures of the business. You know, things want to get done. I get up with all with are here to make money, get things out out the door. And once the team is delivering regularly and in a timely manner it's very easy to let that momentum overshadow and before you know it the team's under a lot of pressure and then that's where we see cracks start to break momentum falls down um and on these sort of things so i've been working very closely and trying to find ways we can sort of not push back but very much signal to people that we're working at capacity it actually be detrimental to the company, to the team as well, to keep pressurizing. Um, pressurizing might be the wrong word, but, you know, riding the team to get more out, um, good processes. So well, what I've been thinking is like, how can we take the learnings from one team and, and apply them to another, whether that's safariing some of the teams, people have worked in nice teams so that they can learn themselves to act and move towards fun, uh, highly performing teams that have sort of fallen by the wayside and get that momentum back. So that's the sort of thing I was thinking. And, you know, as we've all talked about previously, the natural change of the business, things change around us, focuses change. You know, I've not worked in a business where you set a, a set of goals for this this quarter and two weeks later the goals have changed again uh, and the team's got to adapt to that. Of course they do. But how do you keep that momentum there and the team interested and wanting to deliver? So if you would like to ask... Uh, I can go first and try to unpack this. And that's a very great question, Greg. And uh, I think it's uh, 
reality we we all face, and uh, you know it's a great question. So uh, when I think about sustainability of any process, I I try to think about setting up systems and basically not relying on anything as a thing as an initiative. Uh, or a thing which we just did for a quarter and and seen the results. So when you think about how I'm going to set an actual system, which is really not dependent on people being within the system and providing the same results as, as how I think about sustaining, uh, you know, v- various results. So that's, for me, it's usually uh, a data-driven. So I like uh, a Spotify's squad health assessment module which is you know self-driven yes. it's a simple questionnaire so you do this you know that allows you to gauge you know the healthiness of of the squad itself and then where you are and it gives you a you know numerical data to see how you're actually going you know across the time uh things i like to add to the self-assessment is the burnout rates so it's quite you know easy to get questions around the burnout and ask alongside those other questions how you know the team is actually feeling and 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 sort of cross-referencing, you know, the performance, uh, I, you know, against the burnout rates. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to performance, of course, you know, uh, mostly it's Scrum and all the numbers which comes out out of the sprint performance. You know, uh, the velocity numbers. You know, how many story points are being done. So once you have these numbers, uh, th- then you have you know enough data to sort of see how you're actually performing. And if you have multiple squads, you can compare these and see like you know why squad A is doing so much better than squad B. Sometimes it's, you know, easiest task, less complexities or not, but, you know, that gives you a, a system to work with. And then when I look at people, because they're part of the team, they're part of the squad, so they, of course, they will, you know, mostly influence the numbers. I try to think from this perspective of always believing, right? So, so, and I try to sort of give that to the squad, like, think of what happens if you don't come here tomorrow. So just always believing. Uh, and, and what does it mean someone to come in and take your function or... Maybe it's documentation, maybe it's a good handovers, maybe it's just how you approach your work. So it sort of takes away that um, fluctuation which exists in, in, in performance velocity when people come and go, uh, you know, within the squad. And I think the whole notion of the squads and tribes with Spotify put forward was that you actually rotate the setup of the squads. So, you know, you have two people, two people, two people, and then after two weeks, they go to another squad and another two people comes in that squad. So you have people rotation. So it takes away a lot. Takes away. It forces you to think about uh, the the migration of people within that squad and and see how that you know uh, sort of affects your performance of that squad. To summarize, I'm not sure if I'm helping Greg, but yeah. when I think about sustainability, I think about systems and 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 then just try to put a system in place, uh, try to make it measurable, and and just over time you know see what the numbers are saying and 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 you know be creative with you know dealing with the numbers. I try to not depend on motivation uh, per se, because I think motivation is really from uh, within us. It's it's a it's an outcome of of you having a good process and and you know giving focus to people, giving purpose, and they by default they will get motivated to do this. Yep, that that's really good. Uh, yeah, and I I second that. So process is 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 a key one. But I think uh, for me, what I'm seeing, if if I can reply a bit. Is the sort of shrinking? Uh, I think it's a bit of an industry-wide sort of thing. So during the pandemic, you know, there was loads of jobs, uh, and now of course we're in a shrinking economy. So teams are having to deal with, you know, taking on a bit more work. As we know, sh- sh- shrinking workforces doesn't always mean a, sh- a shrinking roadmap. So you know, teams have to adjust. And it's uh, yeah, I like the way you think things you were suggesting there. And these tools are, are important to keep people safe in their roles so they don't get overwhelmed. Completely agree. 
especially with the moving target that we've got nowadays with the economy and how how the industry is uh, it's very much to fight that burnout that which you spoke of a bit previously and yeah greg i'm seeing the same thing i'm seeing the roles now becoming two in one roles yep. or even three in one roles where if you think about engineering management roles as an example you know, if you have eight plus people, uh, your individual contribution to the code base it's it's likely not. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna have less impact than you actually leading that team well, because you have in, enough team. You know, eight, eight plus is where your individual contribution makes no sense. You have to lead the team and get most of these contributors. But I'm seeing that role being glued together to two in one, and 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 business is now expecting you to be engineering manager by code at the same time. Yes. Which almost like defeats the purpose of leadership, right? So you're saying that we don't need the management, we need and leadership, we need the, uh, more contributors, which, which is exactly what they're doing. And Facebook uh, just recently had a press release where they cut the management layer by some some percentage, so they they effectively let the managers go. So I'm seeing the same thing, and you're absolutely right. The roadmaps don't shrink. You know, it's the same same on the table, but the burnout is a is a very very you know uh, sharp knife, mm-hmm. and the the moment you push people over the edge you know the 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 outcome of burnout is the you know it's a huge disengagement and not not caring which comes as a as an outcome of people people being burned out and they're going to look for better environments so it's, it's that's where the you know having systems and having data driven systems is is so important that if you measure your you know post sprint releases you know as a help self assessment mode and you go like, hey guys, how are you feeling? If you if you picking up that your burnout rate's going up and people saying we're getting a lot more tired, but, you know that's a very strong signal to go to management and go like like we need some breathing space. You know maybe it's the same project, but maybe it's less complex ones. You know maybe it's less projects. You know maybe you're just extended. You know timelines. Something we need to be sort of communicated instead of just going like, yes, we'll take on and, you know, we'll try to do our best. Because you, you can only do that much. Like everyone has its its limit of how much you can get out. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, this is a subject quite close to my heart. So a lot of places, and I speak to a lot of quality engineers, they're looking at um, not revenue impacting roles. So the team's taking on managing their own quality. Teams taking on more roles within in that. So whether it's SRE roles, the developers themselves managing their own infrastructure rather than having a dedicated team. Uh, yeah, developers uh, quality checking their own things. So of course, incidents rise up, um, mistakes get made through burnout and you know being outside this. So these all these um, sort of things can have an effect on the team's uh, functionality, their velocity. All these things need to get took out of place. And you know, I understand the the. The, the aim of like cutting down costs and yeah, we've all got to muck in and do a little bit more. But all these things just chip away, chip away, chip away and it'll eat into the team's uh, morale, um, velocity, everything really. That's where the good culture comes in play, Greg, isn't it? It's like yeah. if you have a great culture, a commitment-driven culture and one of the values is, you know, for example, not burning ourselves out, you know, that that would mean that, you know, the management need to, you know, uh, you know, make the walk, as they say, and 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 then realize that likely the roadmaps should be a little bit shorter. To because mm-hmm. we're doing a lot more right now. Uh, where in the cultures where you effectively exchange your time for money, or like a you know labor-driven type of um, environments, you know that's where sort of the push happens. But in the 
good cultures where the, you have uh, less talent leaving, it's usually where the communication, you know, yields results, where if you can, especially back it with numbers and going like, you know, we're all quite at the edge of burnout. So we need to sort of, you know, take the pedal yeah. off the gas and then just have a look. Yeah, completely agree. Okay. And uh, can you let anyone else want to add anything to that one? It's totally all cans. Um, I, it was interesting listening to what you were just talking about there, especially the bit about the blended roles, you know, where you're sort of taking what used to be two roles and amalgamating them into one role and how that's affecting things moving forward. I think it's it's thinking about it. Is it a false economy at the end of the day? You know, you're, you might be saving a little bit of cash at this point in time, but is it actually making the team creak? You might lose people. Things might go wrong. You end up having to do a lot of, you know, re, you know, coding, bug fixing, whatever it might be. You might make the client unhappy because you're not delivering stuff on time. Um, there's a massive kind of, you know, is it really worth it? I, I, I get why people do it. Um, and, you know, we've probably all been there when we've worked in teams that have been stripped back or, you know, you've had to put on many different hats. But I think it's really, especially when we're working with, um, you know, such intricate products now, uh, there's a lot of security and, and all that kind of stuff you can't really skimp on yeah. certain aspects of it um so i think probably setting boundaries is a really good thing if you are going to amalgamate those roles or do whatever you have to do or your leadership is telling you to do then i think it's about setting those boundaries so people understand what their role is how other people come into that you know keeping that comms clear it's really going back to those key elements we were talking about in yeah. The first question, remembering what made your team high performing in the first place, um, you know, and trying not to move too far away from that. There's the, you know, the continuous learning. If you are learning, you know, do it in a way that is, uh, you're going to be learning on the job quite a lot of the time, but do it in a way that is supported. You've got time to do it. You can ask for feedback, support from other people. Um Make sure that people understand that they can reach out if, if you know, things are getting a little bit too much um, and that they're listened to. I think that's yeah. really important that they feel listened to. Um, yeah, it's really going back to those key elements. I mean, I think if, you, if you're getting timely feedback, your comms are good, you've set your boundaries, you know what your responsibilities are, you know what you're aiming for. Um, you know you're going to take on uh, a lot of work maybe but if you're clear about all those things that takes away all that sort of mess that noise that can go with a high performing team because when things start spiraling out of control there's all that noise that goes on around everything and it takes away from what you're actually trying to deliver yeah um yeah i think uh that's that's kind of what i i would say for that one big and get what we all thought. Um, firstly, I have to agree with what everybody said, um, especially around uh, merging of roles and kind of overstretching that that T T um, skilled person within your team. The, the the thing for me, I think, is the, around stress, and especially um, if it's an environment where the company or the organisation is coming under much more pressure, and you are looking at having to downsize or or, or restructure in some way. Um, 
for me, that the key thing is maintaining the right amount of stress and not overstressing your team because you get burnout, as you say. And that's by doing fewer things to a much higher standard. I believe you'll achieve so much more. And I, I mean, this is genuinely a belief, but something I've seen a, a lot is reduce the bandwidth of what you're trying to achieve, but focus the team on making much, um, a much higher output in terms of quality and, and focus on goal, and you'll actually do better. Mm-hmm. And it also reduces the stress as a result. Yeah. But all right. I accept you. And then uh, finally, we have Mike's question. Uh, I am conscious that we may have covered some of the topics in an earlier question for this one. Um, but to, so the question for this one is how do you establish a culture and high-performance team and or changing a culture of an inherited team? Would you like to give us a little bit more information on that question first, Mike? Uh, yep. So it's a very experience-driven question, uh, meaning that I quite often work with the pre-series A startups. And uh, at that point in time, we're talking about business, which is up to 40 people in total. And uh, in that environment, there's no really, uh, you know, culture, which is uh, set in motion uh, as in real terms. You have uh, cultural values and, you know, you're putting some standards around behaviors and you expect some behaviors and you have leadership, you know, leading those behaviors and, you know, you hire for that cultural fit. It just doesn't exist. So as a result, you get the culture will, will mostly are being said by by the founders or the CEO of the business, or you know, often it's the CEO and the founder, and they have their you know views of how they want to see their business, uh, you know, coming together. So they you know they hire based on that, but there's no really like a written down cultures, right? So when you come in those environments, it's like what what do you do? Like what is your you know, plan effectively. You know, seeing the culture happen if you if you care about the culture, and then on another side, I'm seeing a lot of uh, post Series A, you know, close to Series B businesses, which you know just raised uh, you know enough cash, and they they usually you know uh, pushed by the board or the investors going like, hey, you know, you need to hire a, a more experienced CEOs and this you know C-suite level. As a result, those people come in and they they go like, hey, you know, the very first thing we'll do, we'll we'll, we'll put the culture in place. It's going to look like that. And then, you know, they, they outline that. You have a lot of blog posts. It's all online. You know, it's all reading very, very well. It's nice. You read it and you go like, I, I want to work here. And then you come in and you go through interview process. And then you're like, it's not even close. Like, you know, you're, you're very clearly, you know, like miles away from that picture. So you sort of come in, in that journey to help them to, you know, to make that happen. So how do you manage, you know, that change? So it's like a two-part question. Nice. Who would like to, uh, who'd like to put this? Do you have one thought that came immediately? Um, and uh, you, you may be laughing, you're speaking uh, in a really positive way. Um, it's around authenticity. Um, it is such a negative thing to present your team as something other than what it is, especially during hiring. Like author- authenticity about who you are, what you're doing, and what it's like to work there is key. Otherwise, you're going to have gruntled employees from day one. And that was my main thought. Yeah, I'd second. Uh, just sort of said back, back end uh, openness, uh, authenticity. You know, it, it tell them how it is. Um, uh, you know, trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, especially when you're trying to get them in. It, it, you know, the rugs soon pull out from underneath you, and people aren't aren't silly. Um, they'll soon soon see through it. And trying to sell this, the your role through rose tinted glasses is just a recipe for disaster. And again. 
it feeds on to other things. So all that time wasted on boarding, um, all that time, just dead time. Um, it's a costly business uh, hiring and um, going through the whole process. So, yeah, be open, honest, right from the get-go. And, and uh, more than likely, it'll, it'll get that mutual respect going as well. Because no one's got it perfect. So if you're, we're, if you're honest, open about this, you know, we're trying to get there. This is where we'd like to get, but we're not there yet. We've got a bit of a journey to get through. I'd respect that a whole, whole lot more than saying everything's perfect. Uh, come look at us. And then you get there and it's completely different. So straight away, you've lost that person's respect and trust um, from, yeah, just not being honest. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, if you look at anything around recruitment, there's so much stuff about authenticity and it, it is it is a massive factor in people leaving uh, not long after they started. But I think going back to your thing about changing a culture of an inherited team, um, I mean, the first thing is you've got to understand what the existing culture is and where you want to go. And that may mean that you have to address, you know, something counterproductive or negative or, you know, people's behaviours or the practices they've been through. Um, and to do that in a way that doesn't cause too much friction you have to clearly communicate the reasons for that change and why that change is needed and then provide that support for those people to go through that transition and involve everyone in that process so involve the team that you've got in that change of culture um you know if you consistently reinforce what you want you know if you're if you're the leaders of that team or you're the uh, the owners of that team you have to manifest the behaviors that you want that team to to be giving back to you um and you know you recognize all the bits that are good and you keep um praising the bits that are good and hopefully over a short amount of time it will it will start changing um it's it's always harder to change a culture than establish one i, mm-hmm. I think um but you know again it goes back to that kind of clear communication honesty and transparency um making sure people understand why that change is needed uh, there's nothing worse than having something foisted on you with no explanation because it's just going to get people's backs up really isn't it um because then they feel like you're you're saying that their way of working or the way they're doing things currently isn't good enough um and it might not be that at all it might just that the, the situation has changed and you need to to evolve with it Thanks, everyone. Uh, good chip in. And j- just to close the question, um, from my own perspective, you know, give back to the group is that the most difficult culture for me, which I, I faced, is uh, um, um, autocracy-driven one. So when you have a founder and CEO who has a very clear vision of, of how they want to see the business, so you come in, you join that, and you know they they just maybe just raised the money, or you know they they're getting to raise the money. So it's you know fit, business is good, product fit, everything's fine. And then you come in and you go like, look, like here's numbers, you know, of, of an actual research, which basically shows that autocracy driven, you know, cultures are actually the poorest performers ever. After some point, you know, you, you want to move towards that commitment driven culture, you know, set the values, you know, look for the behaviors. And that's the most difficult one to change. Uh, I don't know why, but usually it's just, no, no, I don't agree. I see the numbers. I still don't agree. Where others such as like engineering driven cultures, like, you know, um, tech-driven cultures, as they call the product-led cultures, where, you know, where the most decisions are made in, the, in that sector, that's quite easy to, to put in the commitment cultures or 
even start-driven cultures where you have just like a lot of senior people, everyone's doing quite well, again, quite easy to move towards commitment. But that one, autocracy one, is just uh, such a challenge where I usually just go like, I give up, bye. Mm. I think um, the characteristics of entrepreneurs and people like that, self-starters, don't really go with democracy. <laughs> there you go. We think we're on something here. <laughs> because they're, you know, that's the reason they've started a business. They've got that that vision, that drive, that belief, that passion. You know, they've got up off their seat and they've made that happen. And it is to all intents and purposes probably like their baby. Um, and you're telling them that their baby needs to change and they're like, no. Well, well, it's not like your baby needs to change, but it's how you're growing your baby. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, maybe there's better ways of, of you know, getting that baby into that pilot school, like, you know, just like your ways around that baby. But it's a growth mindset, isn't it? It's like, you know, any person in leadership position needs to be humble and realize that they don't know what they don't know. There's and awareness. There's a awareness piece there for those, that, that leadership team, isn't there? You know, it's um, it's about understanding your strengths and your limitations, and being willing to let other people take the the lead when they're better at something than you are. Um, and quite a lot of senior people think they have to know everything. Um, and actually, you know, the best team is one where you surround yourself with people that are actually better than you yeah. at lots of different things. Um, and I think. You know, if you can get over that with someone, then that's brilliant. Because if they, you know, they really do take on board that actually they are amazing at this, but they're not there yet with this piece, but that person is, then that's a recipe for success. But it's really hard when you're of that type of character. Anyone else got anything, anything better to add on that point? No, okay. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the questions. Does Evan, anyone have any sort of further questions or points he's like to raise before we end the podcast? Oh, go on, sorry. Sorry, and just a finishing thought that, you know, uh, there's a there's a DevOps research and association, which is called DORA. Uh, and if you put it DORA.dev in Google, it's uh, it's currently run by, by, by Google, I think. I'm not sure how they took it over, but it started... You know, in the day by by two researchers who wrote the book called Accelerated. So effectively, you know, it, it surveyed a lot of businesses, like 20 plus K businesses on, you know, how they enable performance. And and it's usually, you know, it goes around uh, a lot of capabilities and it's it's uh, process capabilities, a certain processes which needs to exist as a tech capabilities, you know, how we manage tech. And then there's organizational capabilities. And it has about like four or five organizational capabilities, which is, uh, you know, quite quite good read to, to, to see what you need to see in your culture to at least based on that research to be, uh, you know, uh, going forward in the right direction towards high performance. Okay, great. Well, thanks. Thank you, Mike. Um, just before we end the podcast as well, um, I'd just like to say thanks so much to all my guests today sharing their thoughts on our conversation. Once again, our guests today in today's podcast have been Emma Clymont, Dardia, Greg Wars at GoDaddy, Victoria D- James at Great States, and Mike Sidious at Love Swap Home. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. If you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured in a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Darvash Patel and you can find me on LinkedIn 
or email me at damesh.patel at evolutionjobs.co.uk or alternatively, have a quick look online at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK. Thanks again to all our guests and thanks for listening. We hope you can join us next time.